Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is Barry and Sarah. Hey, geeks. Hey, freaktards. <laughs> Two seconds in, he's like, I'm going to start with that. If I say it fast enough, no one will catch what I said. <laughs> no one listens to the intro, it's fine. <laughs> so we are we are back, it's the second uh, review of the year, and of course we're doing Unbreakable. So yeah, this is the... Okay. Two Classic and my Shyamalan. Yes. yes, if you haven't seen this movie, then you need to. You need to. Um, uh, are we Are we doing the spoiler free first? <laughs> yeah. Well, next week we'll do the spoiler <laughs> free. It's only 18 years, 19 uh, years old. Yeah. <laughs> if they haven't seen it by now, I'm not Yeah, yeah. Anything. Hey, we can toss out a spoiler warning here. So, spoiler <laughs> warning, we're going to really spoil the hell out of this movie. Yes, it's probably a so, Spoiler warning, Bruce Willis is a ghost. Oh, wait, wrong M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, now you just ruined it for somebody. <laughs> Look what you did, Sarah. Hey, they, don't, they don't know what movie I'm talking about. That's right. Yeah, the only other M. Night Shyamalan movie worth watching besides this. And... Yeah, I was just going to say, some of his other movies should be ghosts. <laughs> oh, The Happening. Nothing happened in The Happening. Uh, uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Uh, I was just going to say that. Oh, Avatar, yes. The Last Movie by M. Night Shyamalan. No, so. no, no. Was it oh, the... God, it wasn't. What, what's the, the uh, Will Smith and... Uh, oh, After Earth or something After like Earth. Oh, oh my yeah. <laughs> so bad. Uh, like, yes. Sorry, Shyamalan. We we want to be your BFFs. So, like for. <laughs> um. What's the other one? The the lady in the water. I like that one. Oh, actually, I didn't mind here. Lady in the water. I huh. like that one. Yeah, good call. Oh, I thought it was, it was supposed cute. to be like um a fairy tale for his kids. So I kind of like you know what? Fine, step out of your norm and do your thing, kind of thing. But yeah. It had oddities, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So, so anyway, uh, before we uh, get into anything, uh, we are going to do Geek Speak this week. And uh, Ooh, first thing we're going to like do... That, Michael, by the way. Huh? Michael's starting his rap career That's tomorrow. right. Geek Speak. Speaking to geek. Geek Speak this week. Geek Speak <laughs> this week. That's right. So, uh, Spider-Man, Far From uh, Home. The did that trailer come out? <laughs> Did the trailer come out? Come on. <laughs> you probably were sitting there waiting for it to pop up, and then you watched you it. Know, surprisingly, what? that one snuck by me. I, I huh? actually had to be told it was out. Like, usually I'm the one that, not out of us, but I mean, like, just in general around here, I'm the one that, oh, that's trailer, you know? But this time I had to be told, oh, did you see the Spider-Man trailer? I'm like, what? Spider-Man. Yeah, it totally snuck by me. I didn't know they're me. making one. 
Uh, I knew they were making one. I just didn't know when the trailer was dropping. I got I got owned on that. Oh, but so, it looks good. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. It's um, going to a different country, which is cool. It takes you out of New York City, uh, which is nice. Sometimes um, you know whether it's a TV show or a movie, you know, taking the characters out of familiar settings can really kind of spice up the movie. You know, give it a different feel. So taking you know the characters and going to a different uh, country is pretty cool. So. so I'm guessing this is set like before he turns to <clears throat> you know dust, but <laughs> yeah. Well, mm. yeah. So yeah. anyway, guess, uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't watched the trailer yet. Wow, oh, really? No, I, this is the first time hearing about it. So for once, I'm the one that's super behind. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess Raker, you and I are going to talk about it. So, uh, no, I think it's. Uh, I think it looks pretty good. Um, you know, we see Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio, which is pretty cool. I haven't seen him do much in a, in a while. Yeah, you know, I was a little afraid at first, you know, because Gyllenhaal doesn't strike me as a comic book guy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Especially Mysterio, who could be a borderline corny character but from what i saw the trailer thus far might be a nice fit yeah i think so i, I mean Jill hall's a good I'm, actor um, oh he's an amazing actor i just didn't quite seem in a comic book movie especially as mysterio you know what i mean mm-hmm. but then again i didn't well no I, I can see keaton as vulture last time so i guess that's not true um i am curious though they kind of paint him as a hero in this trailer so i'm really curious as to how you know what i mean yeah. The rest of the movie's going to go because he's definitely not a hero in the comics. No, definitely not. And and that might be uh, the way they're going to present him or at least he's going to present himself. Mm-hmm. You know, as in like from his point of view, you know, he's he's the hero. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. of course, how most of the best villains actually exist. True. And whether it be on uh, page or on screen is whenever the villain actually thinks you know, they are the hero because they're doing, you know, something for their own reasons, which in their mind are excellent, you know, altruistic or whatever. So I think, um, you know, they could hit a home run with this one. It's possible, you know, so it looks good. I think all the characters are there. All the people that were in the, the first movie are back. And like I said, different location, pretty cool. And we'll see what happens. So I think it looks like a good trailer. Uh, I'm excited for it and I can't wait to see it come out this summer. It's going to be good. Yeah. Oh we'll yeah. We'll probably review it. It's probably, yeah. Oh, it has possibility. We'll review that. Yeah. It's probably, you know, it's probably the biggest, you know, geek news of the week. I'd say is that trailer <laughs> trailer drop, you know? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I'd have to, I'd have to say, all right, so uh, let's get back to uh, – well, let's start to get into what we're here for, which, of course, is Unbreakable, the 2000 movie, the year 2000 release of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Now trilogy <laughs> of <Yeah>. movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But this this movie, when it came out, it was uh, it was just a one-off. Uh, it was right after The Sixth Sense uh, – or well, a couple years after The Sixth Sense, I think, came out. It was, so oh, it was, it was before the sixth sense. I don't know. Maybe you're right. After yeah, yeah it was right after now. the sixth sense. So it was. Um, Michael's right. Michael's uh, right. After yes, just say that over and over again, Sarah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You're right. Michael's right. Michael's A year right. after. Michael's right. Michael's All right. right. So uh, this came out on November twenty second, uh, two thousand. Written and directed by M Night Shyamalan. A runtime of one hour and forty seven minutes. A budget of. Well, that's not correct. <laughs> I put in the wrong amount. That is definitely We're so prepared. not the right amount. Uh, one billion dollars. <laughs> it's uh, a budget one of one billion dollars. <laughs> a budget of sixty-five million dollars and a box office of ninety-five million domestic, fifty-nine point five million foreign, for a total of one hundred and fifty-four point five million. Stars. Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, and Robin Wright. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it was Robin Wright Penn. So. Yeah, that's true. All right. Samuel Jackson, I mean, he's just such a oh, good... Oh, man, he's awesome. He's fantastic in this. 
fantastic. We'll talk about it, but yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's do the plot synopsis and then we'll get into the one sentence review and then we'll start. All right. So after surviving a catastrophic train accident as the sole survivor unscathed, David Dunn is contacted by Elijah Price, a local comic book art dealer who is convinced that David has hidden powers. <laughs> um, it's definitely not right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This this goes to a dead end. Nothing happens. Nothing it's happens. Fine. Of course not. Uh, all right, uh, Sarah, give me your one sentence review for Unbreakable. All right, I wrote that um, Unbreakable is truly one of Shyamalan's shining gems. It delivers an incredible story with brilliant cinematography, like very unique cinematography, along with acting that delivers difficult emotions, but is done in a very you know strong, confident way. Okay, that's multiple sentences. It's not. They're they're commas. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's a run-on sentence. Okay, it's cool. A lot of <laughs> I'm guilty of those also. Mine's two sentences. So, oh boy, guys, break the rules. All right, Raker, you're up next. I mine's quite simple. Um, fantastic beginning to a now enterprising trilogy. Easily one of Shyamalan's best. Okay. Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Right. <laughs> Uh, all right. So if mine is uh, a masterclass in direction, acting, and writing, Unbreakable was unappreciated upon its release, but has since become more relevant with each passing year uh, after nearly 20 years. So, Amen. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's spot on, man. And it's true. It really is true. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, when this movie came out, I mean, it was unappreciated, of course. No, but even close. It's what more. It it's more relevant now with with the glut of superhero movies with you know the MCU yeah. and everything. Comic book fandom. It's it's not, yeah. but it's not just a fandom. I I think it's almost a a somewhat deconstruction of of the superhero genre. So I feel like if this movie were to have come out in the last couple of years. It probably would be hailed as like a breath of fresh air, uh, um, an amazing movie, an amazing, you know, accomplishment. Uh, we're we're talking about it now in that way. I mean, definitely, I think it was great even back when it came out. But if it was released today, I think that it would receive. Um, oh, I think so too. Quite a bit of critical acclaim. I don't yeah, think if it was, this was really like an unknown director. You know what I mean? Yeah. If this, if this movie was just just dropped, you know, like this week, you know what I mean? Outside of, of course, glass dropping. Um, you know, I think you're right. I think he would get, he'd get heaps of praise. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, his superheroes are borderline realistic. Cause I mean, all of us can say like, we you know, have had moments in our life where we think we, you know, we, you know, predicted something that's going to happen to us or have these like weird flicker moments. So, you know, the fact that he makes his superheroes kind of relatable and, in the realm of plausibility, kind of, uh, it's very different than you know our current oversaturation of you. Know, oh, sorry, that's a, that's a Amber Alert. Sadly enough, uh, yeah, we don't get that in Canada. Like I remember when yeah. I went down to the states, that my phone started giving me like Amber Alerts, and that's not yeah. the thing they do in Canada. So it's, uh, but anyway. But yeah, anyways, um, but yeah, it's. I like that, you know, we have this kind of darker, more realistic version of superheroes as opposed to our very, like, oversaturated Marvel DC universes yeah. like that that are fantastic. You know, I was going to say. Marvel shoot, more shoot. than DC, yeah. but uh, I like that it's kind of, it's on the other side of the superhero spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the marketing campaign for this movie back then was absolutely horrible. Uh, Disney had <laughs> they had no well they had no idea how to market this thing, right? And um, I don't know if you know this, but Quentin Tarantino lists this the uh, lists Unbreakable as one of his all time favorite movies, and he said in an interview that if he were marketing this movie back, you know, when they released it in two thousand, his marketing campaign would have been, "What if Superman?" was on earth but didn't know he was superman and that would be a much better take it's you know and it i yeah it's it's very simple but also very eloquent and i think you know look i mean they know how to do 
marketing for superhero movies now. And I think given what we've experienced in the last, you know, 10 plus years, if this movie were to have come out recently, they would know how to market this. They would market it as a counterweight to the other, you know, superhero, big blockbuster superhero movies. Uh, yeah. This would be a smaller one, but I think they would know how to market this much better now. Because you got to remember, this movie came out four months after X-Men came out. Think about that for a second. X-Men came out. The first X-Men movie, this movie came <laughs> out only four months later. Ancient time. Uh, let's never review the first X-Men movie, by the way. <laughs> uh, really? Really? Uh, okay. Well, I mean, we could, but I don't know if we have enough hours in the night to hear my gripes <laughs> but for its which... time for its time it was you know what i mean yeah you gotta remember when it was made and, yeah and true. everything but then again which... look at this movie yeah. yeah this one holds up very yeah, well yeah exactly yeah like that's the smart thing about not using any special effects yeah yeah so um let's uh let's get into it so this movie uh we look at the plot Let's look at the script here. Let's talk about the script. So the script for this movie is it's it's fantastic first and foremost in my opinion. Um it's um there is a economy here in terms of like the scenes that we see and the dialogue within those scenes. It's uh, it's kind of a, at least to me a high water mark for M. Night Shyamalan, right? Um, oh, yes. This is back when his writing, I think, was really, really good. It was very strong. You know, if you look at The Sixth Sense and you look at Unbreakable, if you just look at those two movies, in a lot of ways, that was the height, I think, of M. Night Shyamalan as a writer, right? His ego at that point wasn't too big. Inflated? <laughs> it wasn't. You know, he was he was hungry. He wanted to pr- – and he wanted to prove, I think – if not directly, at least indirectly, that the sixth sense was not just a one-off for him. Like there was so much more inside, you know, that he could create. Uh, so if you look at this movie, there are certain uh, scenes that really stand out. So l- let's take a look at the opening scene, right? So David is on this train, and this you know pretty brunette sits down next to him, and while she's you know, putting her luggage on the rack above, he takes his wedding ring off. Mm-hmm. And then... Instant like, red flag to us audience members. Right. It's like, oh, this guy's kind of a dick. So then we get where the camera uh, shifts left and right. And in shifting left and right, we see her reaction and her side of the conversation. And then it shifts the other way and we see his response and him asking questions. It's a really brilliant uh, way to actually film that scene but in this short what 90 second maybe two minute uh scene here we get so much information about who david is um and and maybe might be what's going on in his life some of those things and uh we know okay he's a married man takes his wedding ring off obviously uh he might not be married for long, or maybe um, at that he might point, be unfaithful. We don't we don't know. Maybe his wife um, passed away, but he still wears his wedding ring. You know, at that point, we don't know obviously exactly what's going on. Um, but you get a little bit of insight into his character. You can see he appears stressed, uh, maybe even melancholy, uh, and. You know, uh, we hear the the train blaring its horns, and then uh, things slow down, get into some slow motion, and then boom, cut to black. David wakes up, and he's in a hospital, unhurt. And the train. Yeah. Go ahead. I love the cinematography of you know the camera shifting back and forth between them, and mm-hmm. you know, it's really well done. The only thing that bothers me. Is that the camera's being focused from two empty seats in front of him that she decided to pass up and sit by him when she was looking for an empty seat. <laughs> That's the only thing that bothers me about that. But <laughs> other than that, the, the way it's shot is brilliant. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so the, the train, you know, crashes, obviously. Everyone dies on board. Uh, 131 people. 
and uh, unfortunately, of course, they died. David survives, and he is unhurt. Um, not a scratch. Not a scratch. And it's it's you know not long that he starts getting uh, contacted by Elijah Price, played by Samuel Jackson, who is convinced, of course, that uh, he must possess some kind of power or something because the likelihood that he would have come out of that train un unhurt. If if he wasn't dead, he would definitely be severely injured, or at least injured in some capacity. And the fact that he wasn't uh, is a big a big deal, basically. Like and, when he's told this too, like what happened, the train crash and stuff like that, there's still one quote unquote survivor. But I love that is one of my favorite shots. Is that we're filming we're over the body? Yeah. Yes. And it's slowly getting bloodier and bloodier as the conversation goes on. So you know this guy's not going to be surviving for a long end. It's just fantastic because there's like there's this realism, morbid element that's like the you know showing how you know fragile everyone else is, and compared to like this guy, he's just sitting there totally fine and being like, just the doctor's just like, I don't know how you're alive. <laughs> Essentially, it's fantastic. It is. Yeah, this movie is marked by a lot of great long takes um something that i feel like Shyamalan gets uh, away from uh in his career uh he he kind of steps away from doing long takes not long after unbreakable really um which is uh, sad and i know you don't want to do that with every movie but uh in this movie it works perfectly it it ties into the pace it's a slow movie i'm just telling you you know it's it's an hour and 47 minutes it's a slow methodical movie and that's not a bad thing it just it is what it is, and I maybe mean, the the long takes definitely kind of tie in with the pacing. Um, and he uses a lot of reflections in this movie. You know, uh, characters we're seeing the the camera is set up in such a way in which we're seeing the characters argue or talk, while you know in a reflection, say of a microwave or a mirror or something, the or a, TV or the TV or, you know, a puddle of water, things like that, where, um, you know, that's where the camera is focused on. But in terms of the script, uh, it's, it's a spare script raker. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? I mean, this is, um, it's a very tight focus script. It's very, um, it's small in scope. Right, not in ambition. It's it's high, it's big on ambition, but it's small in scope because you have three actors in this movie really that that matter, um, with Bruce Willis, uh, Samuel Jackson, uh, Robin Wright, and then the fourth, I guess, would be the son. But beyond yeah. that, we have very little interaction with anybody else. It's true. I totally agree. Yeah. Um. So Raker, what about you? What do you think are the the real highlights when it comes to the script? What are the things that really stand um, just, out to you? Just, oh, script-wise? Yeah. Um, I, I just think it was just very, very interesting. I mean, and I love, you know, the trick ending at the end, if you will. The reveal. What a twist. Yeah, you know, and that's what Shalomon was known for early on. You know, yeah. with Sixth Sense and then this and... Signs. And yeah, signs, yep, yep. So, you know, I mean... This was obvious. You say a second movie, right? This, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a second movie. Yep. Like, yeah, you know, Sixth Sense, you kind of, all right, he had a good job. You know, he did a good job with, you know, flipping the script at the very end or whatever. I don't know if everyone was really expecting another surprise ending, like, you know. Um, well, no, because he did it. He, well, he had only done it once before, so yeah, you couldn't so expect like, him to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really, I really like that. I mean, if that's the sign of, a great script. The fact that I totally didn't see that coming, you know, the reveal that he's the mastermind behind all behind all the bad things and so forth. Like, then it must be a great script. You know what I mean? And I, I just thought the dialogue was good. It's very you know, good. All, yeah, like everyone seemed believable in their character. You know what I mean? The 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 dialogue or the script per character fit them perfectly. You know, like. Just yeah, great script. I mean, I really don't know how else to elaborate on it. I mean, well, I think it really comes down to a couple of of things that really are uh, make the script stand out, which we talk 
you know, you said the dialogue is good. The dialogue is very good. I think, like you said, it the dialogue fits each character, and they all speak. Um, you know, and, and it sounds realistic from within their character and, and their character's point of view. Uh, the um, the script takes a lot of time in setting up the characters and understanding who they are and what's going on in their lives. And given that it's such a, a small scope with this, this movie, it, it takes the time to really flesh that out. So you take um, someone like David Dunn. He's a man who whose uh, marriage is failing. We learn that he and his wife have not uh, been sleeping in the same bedroom even for some time. They sleep in, in separate bedrooms. Um he is coming back with the train accident. He was coming back from New York from a job interview, um, which he didn't think you know he got. Um, so we learned that he's going to be moving. If he get the job, if he would get the job. He was going to move to New York City, you know, away from them, away from them. So, and then we learned that that also he's a man who wakes up every morning with this, just this pit of sadness within him and he doesn't know why. Like, it's not like there's something he can point to and go, that's why, you know, um, but it's true. And, and the problem is, is that it's caused him to become so detached from his family. Like he just kind of instinctively kind of pulls back from them, you know, like they haven't done anything to deserve it. And it's not like he's doing it on purpose to to uh you know hurt them it's just it's just part of his reaction to this this desperate loneliness that kind of engulfs him uh seemingly through just about every moment of his of his day i think um go ahead sarah you want to say something yeah um one of my favorite you know like build up parts to this movie is um like his son slowly like catching on that you know his you know, with the train, you know, his dad came out fine. And then you know, he added weights on and we have that, you know, the darkly lit basement where they just keep adding weight and weight on all like building up to this, like really tense scene where the kid has the gun and it's well scripted. It's well like acted. It's one of like, I think the strongest, most intense scenes of this movie is because you feel like, Bruce Willis delivers it really well where he's, you know, trying to find the right words that's going to affect his kid and make him not shoot him from, you know, punishment to going to abandoning him. And it's so heartbreaking to watch. It's really intense. Like, I think it may be a little, little too intense. Like he went from, hey, giving him extra weights to, hey, I have a gun on you really fast. But it's so intense and it's well delivered. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, back you know, back to the to the script, and I agree that that's the way it's scripted and the way we see it on screen, it, it's really fantastic. Uh, it, it's a lot of tension between a father and a son whose relationship obviously has been is fractured in a lot of ways. I think as his marriage has been, you know, he and his son apparently are not very close, even though you can tell his son wants to be close to his father, and. Um, you know, we learn a lot of information about David. We learn that he was a football star, that there was a car accident when he was um, in college that ended his career, and um, you know that these are all things that he tells Elijah, right? Because Elijah thinks that okay, well, if you are what I think you are, then you you really, for the most part, you can't be hurt, um, at least not easily. And the fact that uh, David had an accident just seems to be like this big problem, you know, like in this theory. Um, David said he, he find, realizes he's never been sick in his life. Um, I, I don't know how you would not know that, but I guess you also yeah, didn't and really like you had think to about ask it. your boss. Like that just seems bad writing, but whatever. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess it's one of those things like, do you really even think about it though? You know, like right. I have a I buddy. I don't know about you, but you know, sometimes I don't take sick days for just being sick. um like i have a buddy that's never had a headache in his life never he doesn't even know what he doesn't even know what a headache feels like wow that it's it's it's, uh jake rake oh okay he's never had a headache when i try to explain to him what a headache feels like it's hard like how do you explain to somebody what a headache feels like 
Like it's yeah. difficult. So, you know, but he's never had one. Now I agree. Like I would think you would go, Oh, I don't think I've ever been sick, but I guess you'd have to really think about it too. Like, have I never right. been sick? I guess not. I, yeah, I guess I haven't been sick. Um, so anyway, you know, you look at the script, and I think what the script does well is that it sets these characters up, uh, sets up their problems that they're facing, and everybody has a problem. You know, David is trying to find out, you know, what he can do to make himself happy. Um, he's trying to desperately fix his marriage. Elijah is trying to find purpose in his life. Um, his son just wants to be close to his father and uh, for them to be a family. So these are all, you know, these problems that the characters have. And the movie does a great job of kind of organically pushing us towards finding out some resolution for each one of these problems. Now, when it comes to David, what I think is really great is uh, his performance and, and the way he's written is he's a very low-key guy. Uh, he can get angry from time to time. But you get the sense that this melancholy could have something to do with his playing days. Did you feel like maybe his finding out that his accident was, I mean, it was an accident, but he was never injured and that he faked an injury so that he could be with his girlfriend, who is now his wife, who seems to be his estranged wife. Um, what did you guys think about that twist that you you find out that, you know, really this accident did occur, but in fact, David was never hurt? Well, figured it had to be something when watching it, but it, like M9 Shyamalan plays to the like Occam's razor, but humans don't think of, you know, the simplest answer is the right one. We always try to weave and, you know, make something complicated, but, you know, for the reason for him to have not been hurt in the car and for him to just kind of fake it to be, you know, with the person he loves. That's very, it's a smart, simple way to, you know, take that accident out of the equation. And I like that the movie does a really good job of, you know, they, it has its story. It's going along story and it's, it, it completely changes depending on the information that gets added or detracted. And it's a really smart way of doing it. Yeah, if you go back and you watch this movie, Rick, or you know, you're talking about how you were surprised by the ending. Um, yeah. But yeah. like The Sixth Sense, if you go back and you rewatch this movie and you pay attention to the dialogue that Elijah has in this movie, there are points where the things that he says the first time you watch it don't ring any bells. But if you go back and rewatch it again and pay attention to that dialogue, all of a sudden you're like, oh, it was there all along. The things that he was, some of the things that he, some of his lines were, the way they were written and the way they were delivered, um, if in hindsight, they mean so much more. Because he's more or less saying, we are opposites. We are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, you can get hurt or I can get hurt. You can't. Um, you're this. I'm this. And, and you kind of look at it now, you know, after you see the reveal and go, Oh yeah, he was kind of talking about the differences between, you know, David. Not just the the differences physically, but also the differences in that you're a hero, I'm a villain. So if you go back and rewatch it, you pay attention. There, not all the lines, but there's there's a few lines in this movie which kind of hint at where this movie is going to ultimately end up. End up. Um, yeah, especially like when you know and you're rewatching it, you're like. Man, some of those lines are pretty obvious, but it just didn't. You don't think about it when you're going through the first time. Of course not. Yeah, right, right. Of and then they see. Here's the thing: that makes the best twists. If a yeah. twist exists without any knowledge in the movie, like if you can go back and spot the things in the movie which will eventually point to the twist that comes, that is when a twist is good. If a twist yeah. just happens. For seemingly no reason, and there's nothing in the movie that points to the fact that this could be a possibility. That's a bad twist. That is that is that's a terrible, terrible twist. I hate it when I see movies that do that because it's an, it's an unearned twist. It's a twist that doesn't deserve to be there. This is different, and so is the Sixth Sense, in which those twists. If you go back and you rewatch those movies, each one of these movies, you can spot the things in the movie which go, oh. 
okay, I now see what, what they were doing. I see where if you line this up and this up and you see this, okay, yeah, okay, I see. I understand what they were doing here. And the same applies for Unbreakable. Um, yeah. If you look at the twist at the ending, Raker, um, it's a brilliant twist. It's fantastic in the way it's done. Um, I love that Elijah is presented in this movie in a very sympathetic light. And he is. One of the highlights of this script is the fact that we follow Elijah. It's not just focused on David. It's also focused on Elijah and his journey in this movie. Um, We are sympathetic to his plight. We see him as a child. Um, We see him as an adult. We see that he's gone through a lot in his life and it makes you feel bad for the guy. You know, and the fact that he's gone from this this lonely kid to this very successful art dealer, and then you find the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, and you go, "Oh my God, this this guy is responsible for that fire that killed X amount of people. He's he's responsible for um, the the plane crash. He's responsible for the train crash that David uh, was in. You know, this is a guy who has killed." hundreds and hundreds of people that we know about, not even to mention the people that um, you know we we're not even aware of, probably other accidents that he tried to to commit or did commit as well. So it's brilliant in that they present Elijah in a very sympathetic way, only for the end uh, of the movie to show us that no no no. This guy's the villain. And he was a villain all along. <laughs> And even when it's revealed, you still feel this, like, why? Like, you still feel like, how did you go from being that boy to, like, having, like, you had a mother who was very patient and kind to you, but you're still somebody who doesn't have empathy. And how did it get to that point? Because it seems like you were nurtured well, despite your disabilities and so even then, you're still like, how desperately lonely and looking for connection were you to get to this point to kill all those people? It's just, it's incredibly sad and horrific at the same time. Well, it's, that's what makes it devastating. There's an answer for that. It's a line of dialogue from uh, David's wife. Um, I can't think of her name. Like I know it's Robin Wright, but I can't think of her her character's name right now. Um, but Audrey, that's what it is. Um, yeah. Audrey, Audrey had a a line of dialogue where she said to her son, "Sometimes people are so have been hurt so much in their life that they begin to lose their grip on reality." Now, the fact is, Elijah's right. Obviously, David has powers, right? But I think this is partially because of all the pain he suffered. As a child, as an adult, all through his life, he's had to overcome a lot, but he's also been hurt a lot, and not just physically, but also, I think, emotionally. Uh, His desire for a connection is so strong, and given that it's filtered through his lifelong passion for comic books, if it's true that there is someone out there with powers, then it would make sense (laughs) that he would be the villain. (laughs) <laughs> Telekinetic abilities. So, right, Rick. That's right. One of my many powers. <laughs> and, uh, I'll tell you what, my favorite scene, and I don't mean to get up, but I mean, guys, it kind of deals with the script. Well, not really. I guess we could go to the acting and talk about sure. this. Oh, well, actually, before we do that, can we do the grades? Can you guys oh, give yeah. Me, yeah give, me your, give me your grades for the script. Oh, um, my grade for the script as I scroll here. <laughs> 88. Okay. Sarah? 91. 91. I am a 91 also. Wow. Oh, very close. All right. So our script for the, or our grade for the script is combined as a 90. There we go. Very good. All right. And yeah, go ahead to the acting, Riker. Oh, um, I'd say, you know, if picking out a standout performance in this movie, I would have to go with Samuel Jackson. Now, I've seen Samuel Jackson in many, many movies. Yeah, he's um, been in a lot. Yeah, he's been in a lot of movies. 
but this is, I think, one of his best performances. And I think his performance within this movie is the best of all the performances. Um, going back to what Michael said about him being a sympathetic villain character, uh, I think he sells that perfectly. Um, probably my favorite scene of this movie, and of course it deals with a performance of his, is when the gentleman wants to buy a piece of comic artwork for his son. <laughs> oh, and love it. Yeah, well, that's like my favorite scene of the whole movie. Like, I just love exactly what Samuel Jackson says, how he delivers it. His eye um, twitches. Yeah, like it's, I hate to say it, but it's very reminiscent of myself. Not that I'm Samuel Jackson. I'm not that cool by any means. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was heavily influenced by comic books at a young age. Um, and, you know, they still serve as a source of inspiration for no matter what type of art I do. So I've always had this battle of, you know, this inner battle of like, you know, do I expose my love for comic book art because it's considered childish? You know what I mean? And I think the way that Mr. Glass, Elijah, um, you know, gives him a verbal smackdown as parent, I thought was just like perfect. It's almost like something I would love to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Someone. I mean, it's he, he almost Puts them in fulfills, their place. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, he has this art gallery of comic pages. You know what I mean? And I just, no I just love. No four year old's gonna appreciate it. Like. Yeah, I, I just loved so it. Silly. I just, I just love that scene. That's probably, you know, maybe it's one of my favorite scenes in cinema. I absolutely. He delivers it so well. Oh, he does. He does, and he delivers many scenes <laughs> well. But that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, bad Absolutely. performances. You know what? I cannot think of a bad performance. Even the boy, the son. I can't remember his name. Uh, Bruce Willis's son there. David Dunn's son. Um, Joseph. Yeah. Like child actors are hard to come by. Um, you know, good child actors rather. Yeah. Hard to come by. And I think he does a pretty good job of playing kind of a confused kid that, you know, sees his father as a superhero, even if it's, you know, even if it's just through that naive, you know, you're my dad type superhero prison yeah and yeah. he does a really great job and here he's reminds me of um uh what is his name from the sixth sense of the kid oh um, Haley joe osmond yes he he has that look and it does and yeah that like uh you know it what reminds I mean? like, me of him yeah good call i never thought of that that way but you're exactly like, right m night so, must have an eye for like yeah, if, yeah odd children who are good actors I'm glad you brought I'm, I'm Night Shalomon because if I had to pick a bad performance, it might be his. <laughs> Sadly enough, like in all his movies, he's the worst actor. Yeah, he's. But right? I like Am I right? You know, you're totally yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah, I, it, it always makes me happy when he's there. Yeah, I mean, it's cool because it's, you know, it's like looking for Stan Lee. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Now you're like, then you go to a Night Shalomon movie, you're just waiting to see him. But he's probably the worst actor in the movie and he's not terrible. He's, he's just serviceable. He's just a, yeah, he's just amongst these great actors, so he looks even less pales in comparison. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so. Um, I tell you what, for for me, I mean, I I can't disagree with anything you said regarding Samuel Jackson. It's definitely yeah. one of his all time best roles. Um, definitely, I feel like his maybe his most fleshed out role or one of his most fleshed out mm-hmm. roles. Um, and it doesn't rely on him being like yelling and screaming. Yeah, uh, which is nice. It's, it's it's just a low, a much lower key or a lower key character. Uh, but I got to tell you, this to me is Bruce Willis's best performance, I think. And you know, he does a really great job in the Sixth Sense. Obviously, it's it's also another one of his best performances. But he does a lot without doing with doing so little, I guess. In in this movie, he you know he plays a character that's obviously dealing with a lot of problems and of his own uh, and of his own making. But watching this character go from somebody who's just trying to get through each day, um, who wakes up with this sadness in his heart um, the moment he, he pops his eyes open every, every morning, to somebody who has found his purpose is – think some really amazing acting on his part 
You see, it's one of those roles that isn't flashy. It's not a flashy role. It, you know, and I think sometimes it annoys me when performances by actors and that that are flashy that get a lot of attention. It's not that they don't deserve it. You know, the attention. It's just that you know, the characters that don't just jump up and yell and scream and wave a gun around and do anything super crazy or even if it's a dramatic movie where they just get to like chew the scenery i mean that looks great it looks like the energy and all that stuff but sometimes it's those low key very low key rules the characters that um some of the best acting you're going to find is from those kind of uh performances by those actors and i think that this to me at least is is Maybe Bruce Willis's best performance of his career, personally. Huh. I, I'd say it's one of his top. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, I I'm think, not saying I don't, like, think, like, I don't think he was. The, I think he's, I don't think he stole the show. There's iconic, you know, like obviously, you know, Die Hard is you know iconic, you know, with yeah. his performance. But yeah, you motherfucker. But but <laughs> you know that movie that for years. That was a <laughs> larger. Christmas. That was a larger than life character, and I right. think that. You know, sometimes that can overshadow other performances, which are low, more low. Yeah, and Bruce has a tendency to pick some roles like that, especially as like, he's gotten older. Yeah, Hudson Hawk, and you know, a lot of these war movies, he's always a little over the top. You know what I mean? Hearts War and stuff like that. Oh yeah. yeah. I think one but, of his best acting performances in this movie. It's very small. But I think it's it's his best. It's that scene where he yeah. It's the day after um he killed that murderer guy, yeah. and he's sitting at the breakfast table across from his son, and he slides that paper over. And the look between the two of them, it's the best acting for the kid as well. Oh, the Just, the, the tears in his eyes, you can see. Yeah, like the it's... understanding, the you know you're yeah. right, and it's so emotional. Yeah, it was a good scene. Yeah, it is good. Um. You know, at the we you know we haven't talked yet um, about the the scene at the end when you know he because mm. he goes into that train station and he stands there and he lets people kind of bump into him and he kind of we see yeah. about three or four people and different ranges of people that have done some bad things, but <laughs> it's this. By the way, when. <laughs> In today's standards, you wouldn't go past the rapist and be like, ah, that's not worth killing him. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, are you kidding me? What? But, him. But, you know, they he ends up bumping into a guy who turns out had killed a man and is is got the family being held hostage. Right. Pretty nasty. And so he follows him back to the house, goes inside. He's able to, to you know, untie the kids, go upstairs and uh, – he goes out onto the balcony, gets pushed over the ledge by the. It appears like an escaped convict, maybe. Is right. what, maybe. Uh, but he's the maintenance worker. Oh, that's from right. The no, train you're right. Station. That's right. Yeah. He's the maintenance worker. Okay, so. Um, so Michael, did you watch this movie? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I guess I just I don't know. From my head, I guess he's, I read, thought, he's reading the back of the well, DVD cover. But that's the common theme in this movie too: is that all the villains are wearing bright colors. Yeah. Like you notice it when every time he touches somebody, they're in a bright color. Red, um, orange. The guy from the stadium had a yeah. distinctive coat. Uh, Elijah is, you know, purple is his color. Yeah, this guy was orange. The jewel thief, it was red. Like they all very, have very bright very, colors. Yeah, very comic booky. Yeah. Yes, very. Yeah, which we'll get to because I think we need to talk about the color palette, and we'll do that in a few. But you know that's a really good part is the end of the movie where David does he takes the guy out he saves the family and then uh, but unfortunately it turns out that the mother died you know which that that was the one part I didn't like understand because it looked like she was alive when he got there because I could like I didn't go back but I could swear you could saw her move or do something. And then when he's untying her, she's dead. Like, but, did, well, what did she die or, of? <laughs> or, or, well, we don't know. I mean, she could have died in the process of going to the hospital. She may have, she may have just uh, been too injured or given out or too dehydrated. I mean, there's a lot of things that could have happened, you know, between you that You think moment. that would have happened to the kids as well? If well, it, happened it sounds to me like the mother was the bigger brunt of the attack and, and the torture, probably. Yeah, I definitely agree about that, but... 
I mean, if she, she like she just falls over when he unties her, like she had to have just died, or else you know she would yeah. be stiff. It just doesn't make sense. You'd think if someone's there saving you, you'd have the will to live a little. I don't know. That's the only part that bothered me. It didn't make sense that she just gave out. Yeah, strange. I agree. Um, but that's nitpicky. All right. So, what do we want to give the acting then, uh, grade wise, Raker? Why don't you give me your grade? I gave it a ninety. Ooh. It's, it's high uh, for me. For a ninety, yep. Uh, Sarah, eighty-eight. Eighty-eight, and I gave it a ninety as well. So our total grade for that is an eighty-nine. You are parring with us, at least one of us each yeah. time. Yeah, it's it's crazy so far. It, it's been that way. Um, all right, so let's keep going here. Um, the directing for this movie is phenomenal. I. I I think you could argue that this is the best, I think, the best directing that Shyamalan has ever done. Personally. The camera shots alone are Oscar worthy. Yeah, the, right. It's it's like, um a brilliant. So specifically, like I was really admiring like when um Elijah was younger and the whole conversation with his mother is happening in the reflection of the TV. And <laughs> yeah. I thought that was such a great touch. And though I don't buy into the concept that <laughs> a president would be left across the street and it'd still be there when he gets over there. Right, right. <laughs> it's a good scene. Yeah, it's for, you know. Yeah, the 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 shot selection in this movie is great. The way it's framed, it's like uh, comic book panels. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of shots totally. that feel like that. Yeah. Um, which is something that you see a lot more of now, but you didn't see this back in that point in time and obviously superhero movies were just starting out but you know the way they're sh- the, the shots are selected it's not every single shot but there are definitely shots where it's like man that is definitely a comic book panel right there um totally which- like when in the in the stadium when they're at like the top of the stairs stadiums behind them but they're just like kind of silhouetted it's just white light behind them yep. it's it's so well done it's a really great shot so there's a, ca- a color palette with this movie, and um, especially when it comes to the main characters. So obviously, as you alluded to, Sarah, Elijah's color is purple. So we, we see purple, either purple, his suit itself, or purple touches to his suit, or his surroundings, or uh, his art gallery. Uh, you see green is David's color. Right, so Good that's the right. So the security uh, poncho that he has is green. Um, there's just green everywhere when it comes to him. His suit that he wears at the beginning of the movie that he's on the train with—that's a kind of a dark olive greenish kind Even of. Even his son is always in green. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's um, it's a fantastic use of color, and it's a hallmark of the sixth sense too, where you see the color red. Red is very important in that movie. So if you go back and you watch that movie, it's it's a very very important aspect of that movie. But um, he continues that in this movie, and I think it's to even better effect. Um, and so, kind of you know, on top of the fact that it kind of uh, ties the characters to a color, it also allows it to give it an even more of a comic book feel because you have a color associated with a specific character. Um, so that's great. And, um, but in terms of the shot selection raker, I think you would agree that it's just, um, just some stunning shots. The, the, um, the long, um, takes the shots where, you know, they're, they're walking and talking Elijah and, um, David, um, there's shots oh. that kind of just rest on a scene and it just kind of sits there. Oh, yeah. I mean, from the closet, like it's from above, uh, David Dunn. Um, a lot yeah. of, the upside, a lot of the upside down stuff. There's a lot of, uh, um, symbolism behind things there. being upside down. You know, everything's always a lot of reflections, whether it be a TV or in glass. Like it's just, it's brilliant. There's the, the, the point in the movie where, um, Elijah tries to go down the steps following the gunman, right? It's so uh, hard to watch. And, yeah, it is. The way it's shot is brilliant. So, you know, we see his feet stumble. We see him reach out his hand. Then we see his glass cane, which, by the way, that was a uh, that was something that Samuel Jackson 
tossed as an idea to have him have a glass cane. So Perfect. brilliant. We see the glass cane fall, shatter into you know a million pieces, and then we see him smashing against the steps and tumbling down. It's such a brilliant way because the the camera angles for that and the way it's shot, it's kind of like almost sideways inverted, and yeah. it's uh, it's brilliant. It's just a brilliant way to shoot that. It could have been done so many different ways, and uh, by the way, so many more boring ways to shoot yeah. that scene and he definitely didn't do that here uh or the scene where he doesn't want to leave that comic shop and uh, the guy's getting yeah. ready to... this guy just hates his leg right well he he's getting ready to call the cops the guys on the phone and that's when elijah looks and sees the comic book and the camera is kind of tilted and it kind of spins upside down or spins around right side up to the comics so that you can see you know you can read the the front of the cover for the comic book. Um, yeah, those... Which is the same thing that happened when he got his first comic book. He yep. opened it upside down and then the camera spins as it's, yep. as he's spinning the comic around to him. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's a flourish that is um, really great in this movie. Not necessary. You know, in that it's not a bad thing. You don't have to do it. But I think in this uh, movie, it's well done. There's a good reason to do it in a movie like this. So. Yeah. Um, uh, what what would you think is the grades for the grade for directing, um, Barry? What's uh, your grade? Ninety four. I think it was brilliant. Damn. Yep. Yeah. Did he uh, did he re- receive any awards for this accolades of any sort? No, he did not. Unfortunately, that's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. I look back and I think um, it's really sad that he didn't get more attention for this. Well, that's because he shocked the world with six cents. So. Yeah, well, right after that, it's like you didn't know where to go but yeah. down. Yep, true. Uh, Sarah, what about you? 95. 95. Oh. All right. Yeah, very close. Uh, I gave it's it like, a 93. Like Price is right. She just wants to go one above me. Got to one up, yeah. Um, Michael, bl- Michael says one below me. One below me. So it gives us a total of a 94 for the directing, which, which I think is well-deserved in this movie. Yeah, all our numbers are hugging. Yeah. <laughs> so, which close. I picked right on the money, by the way. So yeah. yes, I'm right. Bullseye. Uh, yep. All right. For special effects, we don't have a grade because there really, there really isn't much in the way of special effects in this movie. Certainly no CGI itself and uh, anything else that's in here is either practical or it's there's really nothing. Um, nothing I think that I can give a grade for, put it that way. So the the special effects grade gets an NA, uh, and so we're going to move on into editing and pacing for this movie, which, you know, this is a slow, methodical movie, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's a very confident movie. It knows what it's doing. It knows where it wants to go, but it's, um, it's not a fast movie. It's a, it's a very character-based, more of a character-based drama, really. Um, so for me, uh, I think the editing and the pacing is really top notch here. Uh, the movie is, like I said, it's a slow, methodical movie, but it it moves at a consistent pace despite its slowness. Um, and editing wise, uh, there are some some really brilliant editing. I think throughout this movie, I think yeah, it might sure be is. might be some of the best editing that I've seen in a Shyamalan film. I think you could probably, you could probably compare this editing wise, I think to the sixth sense in a lot of ways, uh, but it definitely deserves high praise for the editing. Both movies do, but this is really excellent. So uh, I'm going to give this a 92. Wow. Yeah. I'm in full agreement. There's some really brilliant shots like that are well edited and just it makes the flow so crisp and precise it knows where it wants to go and it's just developing as it goes along and giving you the information very deliberately knowing what it's doing and the editing is a huge part of that and it's really well done i give it 87 oh boy. i actually went a little higher i went with 90 um i think like both of you have already said you know yes it's slow but it's it's that gradual suspense. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're learning yes. more about these characters. We're learning more about the story. It's almost like it's all leading to the reveal, you know? Absolutely. So 
That's why I gave it such a high score. I will say the very end, you know, after we learn like the twist, of course, it bothers me that yeah, he the just text has... on screen. Yeah, yeah. Like, why can't we see him go to a penitentiary or whatever it was, a sanitarium? Mm. Like, why does it have to be just like he yeah, called the cops? Sure. Cops came and took him away, and now he's locked up. Like, it's a just, true it's... story. Like, it's one of those made for, t- for, made yeah. for TV true stories that kind of give you like, oh, this is what happened after we caught him. Did you just uh, run out of money and just couldn't add it at the end? It's possible. And the fact that. You know, just down the hall from his art gallery, he has his bomb-making table. He has every clipping of every disaster in the world. It yeah. is just like, hey, I'm a horrible person. Here you go, platter. <laughs> yeah, that awesome. kind of bothered me. Like, there's no even secret room. There's no door. <laughs> it's just a ramp down to this area. Well, okay, all right. Rant over. <laughs> so, uh, overall, uh, this uh, this gets a 90 for us uh, grade-wise. And uh, Raker, what about your rewatchability score? Oh, it's pretty high, you know, after rewatching it recently. Um, it just, you know, reaffirms why I gave it such a high score. I gave it a 90 because it's almost like one of those movies you should watch every year. You okay. should. And, like, I had forgotten how good it was until I watched it again. Then you yeah. realize how amazing it is all over again. Yeah. So, I gave it an 85 for rewatchability. Oh, okay. All right. I gave it a 90. Uh, I agree with you, oh, Raker. Yeah. It's uh, a movie that deserves to be rewatched. And I think, as we said earlier, more relevant today than ever. So um, if we add up all the scores, uh, Raker, you came out to a 90. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, you came out to a 92. Or I'm sorry, oh. a ni- I'm sorry, a 90. Oh, and no. I, came out to, I came out to a 92. Oh. So oh, wow. we have a total score of a 91. Right. He had to up us a bit. <laughs> so uh, I think we can all agree this is a. It's one of the best superhero movies ever, and and I think it's um, partially because it's different. It's and it's low key, and it's not like everything else. But uh, that alone wouldn't make this a great movie. It's it's partially because uh, it's different, but it's also because it's so well written, so well directed, and so well acted. Yeah, very well delivered. All right, so before we wrap things up here, uh, let's just for a moment here talk about the sequel. So Glass comes out here this week. It'll be coming out, I believe, tomorrow night. Uh, Raker, uh, you watch the trailer. Give me your thoughts. Multiple times, yes. Yeah. Over (laughs) and over. It's funny how, you know, after watching the trailer, I've seen all these little things we just talked about carry over into the trailer even, you know, like the color schemes and everything. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting a great movie. Okay. Um, I'm expecting great performances. Mm-hmm. Obviously you guys already did split, so I'm sure that I'm sure the reviews were pretty good on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Paulson, that's a nice addition. She's a good actress. Love her. Yes, she is. I do like her a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be a great movie. I'm, I'm highly looking forward to it. Hopefully I can catch it this weekend, weather provided, weather allowing. Um, so I can't wait to talk about it next week. Yeah. Uh, Sarah. Yeah. I'm, I love the trailer. Um, and what it's showing us is definitely, you know, it's setting us to have a certain mindset going into it, but we, we all know it's M. Night Shyamalan. So it's going to be twisted when we get into it. And it, they show Elijah's mother in the trailer multiple times, mm. but you know, as we've discussed, the son, um, from Unbreakable, he's going to be in it, but they don't show him in the trailer. So either he's going to be a very small role, or he's going to be a bigger role that we're not expecting. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what that's going to be. Uh, okay, and for me, I, I think um, there's a lot of expectations for this movie. I'm hoping that people go in though with keeping them at a moderate level. But I will say um, it's you know hopefully M. Night Shyamalan really capping off his comeback uh, in recent years, the acting and directing. Hopefully they are as strong and as um, just as strong and uh, brilliant as we we saw in Unbreakable and was seemingly carried over mostly I think to Split. So looking forward to it and I can't wait to see it. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode. Uh, thanks for joining us for our review of Unbreakable. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go watch it. I don't know why you're listening to this review. Um, <laughs> but hopefully uh, we'll see you guys next week with a review of Glass. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Later, geeks. Later. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to FreakingGeeksMedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.